who was a sociologist at a university by Baltimore. And he sent his students into a school there, and they did a study on all the students in a given year. And uh, they were to find all about them and what was up and what they were up to and what they were going to do and what they were learning and how that was going and a hundred other things you can imagine. And then they were at the bottom to put their evaluation or their guess or their prediction, their prognosis. And um, sadly, it was pretty much uniform that uh, for this kid, things will never work out. For this kid, given the situation, background and on, things will never work out. These were never really reported upon until someone else in the same department found them years later and had the bright idea of doing a follow-up and trying to find the people and see how they did do. You know, you know the old story, there's the a priori and the a posteriori, is that familiar? It was what you think, leaving the shades closed while you're writing, it can never rain and you can hear the rain outside. Then there's the a posteriori, checking scientifically what's really there. You open the blinds and say, my gosh, it's raining, that theory isn't true. And so later on, someone saw a gold mine in this data collected way back then to do a longitudinal study and simply go find the students. Some of them had gone to God, some couldn't be found. But most of them, the overwhelming number, were found and willing to collaborate. And they, they studied them and they found that a great good number, they'd done well and a number of them had done extraordinarily well. And so given the prognosis they saw at the bottom of each page, they were puzzled and impelled to ask, however did this happen? So in the process, they asked the students, you'll never guess, however did this happen? And the students each almost said, pause, pause, pause. Well, there was a teacher. One year I had a teacher. And somehow by the grace of God, a great number remembered her name. And somehow by the grace of God, they were able to track her down and she was still living and she was, uh, she was willing to meet. And uh, they asked her, do you remember these kids? And to a certain and large extent, she did. And uh, they asked, uh, they did well, what is the secret to that? They all remembered you. At that point, she smiled. And her eyes smiled too. And she said, I really loved each one of them. I really loved each one of them, each one. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He sent his only son to reveal what he was like. Where in John 15, the, the, uh, the wine and the branches, it's good, per, sometimes people are getting ready for exams, so why don't I throw you a curveball and mention Luke 6.36, help you practice the six times table. How's that, speaking of school? And Luke 6.36 is important because it reminds us, if St. John doesn't mind, over there, the, uh, that is said to encapsulate the whole gospel. Do you know what Luke 6.36 is? Be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. And it embodies the whole gospel in this wise, that Christ is the Word, the full expression of who the unseen Father is, who reveals to us the Father and who he is and what he's like and what's in his heart. And that we are so deeply loved. 
and he also teaches us the way in which we should walk. The Father has pruned you by what I have taught you, it says in John 15, and so what we were taught in the, that John's gospel and the others as well. They teach us both what to do and what not to do. What not to do we have down pretty close. Sometimes we have sins of omission. We forget what we are to do in the get, getting a life. That teacher really knew what to do because she embodied what 1 John 3 says, let us not love in word or speech, mere words, mere empty air, but in deed and truth, let us not love in let us love not in word and speech, but in deed and truth. The first letter of St. John, the third chapter, the 18th verse. And you really saw the results. The sociologists, seeing things in the cold light of day before and after, saw the results. And so we are gathered as church as a result of God's love in Christ. The light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world, John says in his marvelous prologue, that first chapter. Sometimes we flee from the light because our deeds are evil, but if we open ourselves to the light, what a difference that makes. If we open ourselves to Christ enlightening us about how lovable the good God is, and then we will imitate him in turn, be disciples of Christ, following in his footsteps, and therefore carry out that other part of Luke 6.36, be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. People are worried about approaching God, thinking they should get their lives in order and so on. There's truth to that. But they are worried about who God really is when it's already revealed in Christ how loving and compassionate and forgiving the loving kindness of our God. As was English long ago in the gospel, the good news. What was C.S. Lewis's autobiography? Surprised by joy to hear the good news that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And so in lives, there's chance for second and third chapters. People have made mistakes, but there's confession, penance. And here we have our patron, St. Paul, who his soul was persecuting the church, right and left. And then he fell off his high horse and the scales fell from his eyes and he understood who Christ was and who the Christians were and began to become one. And come back to Jerusalem, no one wanted to deal with them. They were scared to death of them. Only Barabbas seemed to have the guts. You know, they say when they did the biography of the current Pope, when he acceded to the successor of St. Peter, they said at one point he had been a bouncer in a nightclub in Argentina. Well, I wonder if Barnabas was that as well. Nobody else wanted to deal with Saul. He had the courage to come forth and try. And you and I, in our families, in our workplace, and elsewhere, in our own lives and facing ourselves in the mirror, we all need that courage. We all need exactly that courage to face down worry and fear and trouble and to say, God loves you. God loves even me very much. And what and what a difference then that makes. There's something deep in the human heart that needs the key to life for it to work aright. We know it, we use other things to take its place, but then as the saying goes, when we have gone all ways, we shall come at last to him who said, I am the way. And then 
as 10 years after his conversion, Augustine wrote in that marvelous line that ends the first paragraph of the first chapter and then first book of his confessions, the great discovery, the great truth that founds our lives, that makes us always want to be part of the branch connected to the vine. So we always are filled with life from God. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. Our hearts shall ever be restless until they rest in thee. How much we need God. How much we need God's love. Christ is the vine. We are the branches. Ever to stay connected to him. COVID has taught us what isolation is like. COVID has taught us with things dispersed and, and, uh, and closed down, the sadness of being isolated. Today's gospel reminds us to get back together. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. May we always hold on tight to Christ the Lord and the Father's love. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please consider supporting us by visiting stpaulparish.org. That's stpaulparish.org. God bless and see you next time.